series on the life of Moses, the prince of Egypt. His story begins as one of the greatest leaders in world history, really. He, he was born in Egypt into slavery of Jewish lineage. He was raised in the palace of the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, by Pharaoh's daughter who plucked him out of the Nile River, you remember, in a little bassinet. He became a man of privilege then in Egypt, a prince of Egypt. Yet he was sad. He was sad because as a Jew, he could see that his fellow countrymen were being harshly treated by the Egyptians, their slave masters. And one time in a fit of rage, he saw an Egyptian beating a fellow Jew and he killed that man. He then presented himself to the Jewish people as their deliverer. He was very qualified. I mean, who better prepared than him to be their leader? But they rejected his offer. And hearing that the Pharaoh was going to kill him, he fled to a place called Midian, which would be modern day Saudi Arabia, where he tended sheep. Moses had the best education money could buy. All that military training, charisma, everything that a leader needs. But God said no. God put him on the backside of the desert, not for a year or two or ten, but forty, forty years. Moses was away in a wilderness area tending sheep. And those would have been the best years of his life, wouldn't they have? Forty to eighty those are the years where we've got the experience and the wisdom and, and for the most part, good health. God could have used him and it would seem like that would have been the perfect time. But God said, no, I think by now he's an 80 year old man. He's probably forgotten his skills and abilities that he once had. They're pretty rusty now. And I doubt that he was thinking every day about rescuing the Jews. I think he was just sitting there tending his sheep. Realizing, let me just live my last years in quiet obscurity. But D.L. Moody said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent 40 years learning he was a nobody. And then he spent 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. So this morning I want to talk about our inadequacies and God's adequacy, our excuses and God's answers. Let's learn some lessons from Moses this morning. We're going to be looking through the chapters three and four of the book of Exodus. I'm going to read three, one through five to, to begin us here. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Three lessons from the burning bush. 
First, God appears in the ordinary. We usually don't pay attention to bushes, do we? Uh, Moses didn't either. Acacia bushes were all over that part of the world. They're very ordinary, just like the things in our life, ordinary things. Every day we just live our lives, kind of go through our routine. It just seems so ordinary that we don't notice these ordinary things around us. We're just so used to them. But God is often in the ordinary things. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is mentioned here. And in the chapter just before this, at the end of chapter 2, we see that Moses married his daughter, Jethro's daughter, and had two children. The first was Gershom. That word means stranger. By naming his child that, Moses is saying, I'm a stranger in a strange land. I'm not fulfilled. I have no purpose. But the next child, the youngest, was called Eliezer, which means the God of my father has been my help. You can already see he's more encouraged. He's beginning to see that God still has a plan for him. I think that's significant. Maybe you feel like you're in the desert this morning. You're just kind of wandering around and wondering, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this trial? You, you want to do something important with your life. You want your life to make a difference, to do something meaningful for God. In those times of waiting and just living through the ordinary is when God shows up. Second thing we see in the lesson from the burning bush, it's only when you turn and look that God reveals himself. It's when you turn and look that God reveals himself. We see that in verses two through four. Now, I'm sure Moses had seen bushes on fire before, right? Lightning strikes could ignite a bush. He's probably seen that. But as he continued to glance at that bush, it didn't burn up. So he focused on the bush. And only when he focused on it did God speak to him. I think that's significant. How many times in our life has God spoken to us, but we didn't hear it because we were too distracted? How many times would God have spoken to us, but we were too busy? We weren't listening. We weren't abiding in him. We weren't in the word, as Sue encouraged us earlier. Do you think that you might experience God more in your life if you were less distracted and more focused on him? So God shows up in the ordinary and he shows up in extraordinary ways, too, to get our attention. Think about this question. Is there an area of your life right now that God's trying to get your attention? Maybe it's pain that you're going through. God's saying Trying to get your attention here. Or sickness or a crisis or work or your child or a friend. It could be a myriad of ways. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. So focus. Look, God, what are you saying to me right now? And notice that God calls him by name. He knows your name, too. God knows your name. He knows all about you. He knows your situation. He cares for you. Open your eyes and open your heart. Focus on him right now. Look for God's activity in your life. Maybe it's in the ordinary ways that you're most likely to miss. Third lesson from the burning bush here for Moses. God's presence makes our lives holy. 
God's presence makes our lives holy. We see that in verse five. That bush wasn't holy. It was just a regular bush. The mountain wasn't holy in and of itself. That's not why Moses took his shoes off, because I've come to this mountain, to this bush. No, he took his sandals off because God was there. Wherever God is, is holy. So not just in church on Sunday morning. I think sometimes Christians can have that mindset. You know, that's where God is. No, God is everywhere. Where is God moving in your life? Where is that holy place where you're spending time with him and God is revealing more to you? Verses 6 through 10 shows us four lessons about God. Let's look at 6 through 10. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What do we see about God here? The first lesson is God has enabled past generations. God has already been at work in your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's that same God. He's the faithful one. He's the covenant maker. Just as he's been with previous generations, he's going to be with you. Second lesson. God knows what's going on in your life. God knows what's going on in your life. We see that in verses seven and nine. God says, I've seen their misery. I've heard their cries. He's concerned about them. It's good to remember that when we think God's forgotten us, that God is nowhere around. We can't hear God, see God, experience God. Maybe he doesn't care. He does care. But sometimes you have to wait for the answer. Remember, the people there in captivity have been waiting 400 years. Moses had been waiting 40 years. I'm impatient when I have to wait 40 minutes. Third lesson about God from this section. God promises to deliver his people. We see that in verse eight. God will keep his word. He's always true to his word, his promises. Find promises of God in scripture that are for you. What are you waiting on? Maybe God has made you a promise and you're still waiting. Don't give up. Keep waiting. Fourth lesson about God. God uses people to help others. And we see that in verse 10. 
God uses people to help others. Moses is listening to God saying, I'm going to deliver these people into a great land. And I think Moses is thinking, that is great, God. I'm so glad you're going to do that. Then God says, I'm sending you to do it. Someone wrote, an authentic encounter with God often involves you and the answer. I don't think Moses is so happy now. You could be the answer to someone's prayer. Something interesting about the word you there in Hebrew, and it's used two times. It means you. In the Greek, it means you. No fancy meaning there. It means you. You might be the answer to someone's prayer. Like Boaz was for Ruth. Like Esther was for Mordecai and her people that were about to be destroyed. Like Nehemiah was for a small group of discouraged pilgrims who had come back to Jerusalem and the city was still in ruins. Like Moses here. So how are you going to respond? God is saying, you're going to do this. I've got something for you to do. What would you do then? Make excuses? Well, that's what Moses did. Let's look at his excuses and see if we ever make these. Four excuses. Who am I? Let's read verses 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses has a confidence problem. So God gave him a promise. Now, humility is a good thing. It's a biblical virtue. But this isn't good here for Moses. Psychologists might call it an inferiority complex. I like the cartoon character Ziggy. You know, if you know anything about Ziggy, he's always ho-hum and just doesn't think he can do anything right. So he went to the psychologist who ran a battery of tests. And the psychologist said to him, Ziggy, you don't have an inferiority complex. You really are inferior. I think that inferiority complex that we may have, it's like, who am I to do anything for God, is more based that we've got our eyes on the wrong person. We've got them on ourselves instead of God. Mark eleven twenty two to 24. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It's not so much the size of your faith, but the size of your God. How big is your God? Verse 12, God gives him a promise. I will be with you. He's made that same promise to people all over Bible history, and he'll make it to you. I remember when he made that promise to me. Kathy and I were deciding on where should we go to seminary. And we had several good options and we're praying about them. And I read a passage in Joshua chapter one, verses eight and nine, where God says to Joshua, don't be afraid, be strong, take courage. I will be with you wherever you go. 
And where we went, God was there. He was faithful to his word. He keeps his promises. Self-confidence can lead to pride, but confidence in God leads to exploits. What's the second excuse Moses makes? What will I say to them? Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses had a content problem. So God gives him a plan. And let's read that plan and how God answers him in 14 to 22. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I'd say, can you give me a little more information? God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Remember, they've been slaves. Everything they had was taken away. Now they're going to be reimbursed, if you will, for all their labors. A common excuse I think we make for not sharing our faith is I don't know enough. They're going to ask me questions I don't know how to answer. So we stay quiet in fear. And I think that's what Moses was fearing, something to that effect. The Jews would want facts. They would want information. They'd want a detailed plan, especially about who is this God you say appeared to you. So Moses, God tells Moses his name. I am. The Tetragrammaton, the four letters, Y-H-W-H. That's who I am. I'm the God who exists. I am the God who is there now. I'm the God who will always be, who has always been. I am God. And then God tells him what to tell them, which we just read. You can be assured that God will give you all you need to know at the moment you need to say it. Jesus said this to his disciples in Mark 13, 11. 
And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within. He will use you. He'll give you the words to say. Third excuse. What if they won't listen? What if my loved one won't listen to me when I share the gospel with them? Let's read four one. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Moses had a credibility problem, so God gave him power. Let's read that conversation as it continues in two through nine. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. God is telling him, look, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do everything needed so that you'll get the job done. He starts off by saying, what's in your hand? Oh, my staff. What do you have right now in your hand that God can use? Used for his work. Moses is thinking, man, 40 years ago, I couldn't convince them. And I had been a prince of Egypt. Now, for 40 years, I've been tending sheep. I don't have what it takes, God. They've forgotten about me. All I've been doing is leading sheep. So he's convinced they won't listen. When God has a work for you to do, he's going to send you to someone hurting. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you finances. He'll give you the resources you need. He'll give you power. Even if he has to work miracles through you, he'll do it. He just wants you to believe. That's all he asks you to do. Just believe and don't get in his way. God hasn't changed. He's still delivering, healing, and setting people free. Question, is there anything in your life, though, that would cause people to believe that God is with you? Fourth excuse he makes. I've never been eloquent. I'm not a good speaker. 410. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Now, I know it's quite common for people to be hesitant to speak publicly. So Moses is saying, I have a communication problem. So God gave him a person. Aaron. Aaron would be his spokesman. We read that in 11 through 17. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf 
or seen or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said he's still making excuses. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So while a lot of us have difficulty speaking in front of people for Moses, it's beyond that. It's deeper than that. I think he had a stuttering problem. And God tried to tell him, I'll heal you. But he doubted. He just could not accept that. He wanted someone else to go in his place. Have you ever thought that? God, send somebody else. Somebody else is more qualified. Somebody else can do it better than me. So God resorts to giving him second best Aaron. Aaron was a weak-willed man who will get the whole nation in trouble with the golden calf incident that will happen later in the book of Exodus. At this point in the story, Moses asked his father-in-law permission to leave, which was granted. And I think we want God to solve all my problems, God, first. Then I'll go. God says, go. And then as you go, I'm going to solve your problems. Let me close with three observations from the whole of this story about Moses in chapters three and four. First observation. Our past experiences and failures make us hesitant to obey. We've got this baggage from the past that simply weighs us down and impacts us today. And perhaps you feel that way. Oh, I've sinned too much. God could never use me now. Look, it's a new day. God is not through with you yet. Peter is a good example in the New Testament. Second observation, our past failures cause you to see your weaknesses and rely on God. Those past failures, those past weaknesses help you to see, I can't do it. I'm too weak. And then you rely on God. And that's a good thing. Second Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, God, to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Your weaknesses, the thing that you think disqualifies you, is a good thing. It's the very thing that God says, I can take that and fill that and use it for my glory. God confidence, not self-confidence. Last observation. God never calls you to a task you can do without him. A lot of stuff we can do pretty well on our own. But that God purpose is going to require God. D.L. Moody again said, if God is your partner, make your plans large. There's a little story of a mouse who hopped on the back of an elephant and they went across a bridge. And the mouse said to the elephant, we sure did shake that bridge, didn't we? 
So that's us. We're the little mouse. We just hop on God's back and ride him and he gets the job done. Someone said the moment you know you can't do it is the moment you know God can. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the stories in the Bible. They're so rich in meaning. And we can think, well, this was only 3,500 years ago. Or this is Moses. This doesn't apply to me. But yes, it does. Lord, your word applies to me. And the lessons of the Old Testament are there for our instruction. Lord, I believe that there was a phrase here in this message today for somebody. And over here for somebody else. Lord, I pray that especially those individuals will take it to heart and will seize it and believe it and step out in faith and do what you're asking them to do. Lord, we want to know you better and obey you fully. Empower us to do that this week ahead. In Jesus name. Amen.